0: Hello and welcome to the Anchor Sunday Sermons podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with our Sunday sermons here in this podcast. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's message.
1: And God's trying to tell Israel, look, don't do things like that. Stay with me. I'll protect I'll protect you. I'll provide for you. I'll guide you. I'll lead you. You don't need to make alliances with these people. Don't do it. So that's the core of what we're going to study. So I want to flush it out and want to apply it to what we're, we're living with today. Okay? So we're going to be in Exodus 34, 1 through 16. And it starts off like this. And the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. And I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Now, there's another set of Ten Commandments coming here because, remember, Moses threw down the Ten Commandments because uh, to symbolize that Israel had broken the covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, with God. And so now a new set of Ten Commandments are coming into play, and it's a reinstitution of the Mosaic Covenant. Please keep in mind, the Mosaic Covenant is a conditional covenant. It means that if Israel obeys, then they get blessed. If they they disobey they get cursed that's different than the abrahamic covenant the land covenant and the davidic covenant which are unilateral covenants that god will ensure those come to fruition regardless of israel's behavior the mosaic covenant is different okay so there's a there's a typology here i want you to see there's something that's pointing to the future here i want you to see the word cut you're going to hewn out two more tablets moses now before uh, God actually cut the tablets out and actually wrote on them, okay? Now, with this being said, Moses is told, you go and cut out the tablets, and then you offer them up to me in, in, in reverence and submission to me, and then I will write on them, okay? I will write on these tablets. Um, there's something going on here, and I don't want you to miss it. There, there It's a typology of the future so let me let me unpack this according to the apostle paul the law of god is written on everyone's heart every human being that's been been born in this world and ever will be will always be born with the tablets of god the laws of god written on their heart now what that means is every human being will feel the guilt of breaking those laws Thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not murder. All those things, internally and externally, will bear witness, and the conscience of the individual will bear witness on the person saying, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty, looking for God's solution for this, which is the Messiah, obviously. But notice how the first set of the Ten Commandments. They're given by God, inscribed, and given to Israel. That's the idea that... The law is put on the individual's heart. Okay? So everybody's guilty. So what did, what did the first set of Ten Commandments end up? They ended up broken. So that's exactly what we're learning from Scripture is that all have sinned because we break and transgress the laws of God. Ah. Okay, then what is the second set of Ten Commandments then? What is that picture? Look at the word cut. This is what you would say when you cut a covenant. Okay. It's the idea that you're going to cut it out yourself and then you're going to offer it to me and then I will put the laws on that. Okay. This is a picture of the new nature. Okay. So let me unpack this. The idea of cut actually comes from circumcision. So, They would circumcise themselves, the males, uh, to symbolize them being in the covenant community and being part of the Abrahamic covenant. But in circumcision, you cut a piece of the skin off and you discard it. You get rid of the old. God would tell Israel, your hearts need to be changed from a heart of stone. Remember? Stone. What is the Ten Commandments made out of? Stone to a heart of flesh again an old testament way of saying you have to be born again the old testament way of saying you must be regenerated now here's the interesting thing so when you're regenerated you're given a new heart you're still going to possess the old heart and the new heart but the new heart guess what it says in jeremiah 31 That God will inscribe his laws on the new tablets of your heart. And in that new heart, that new nature, that new nature wants to obey. It wants to fulfill God's purposes. You will struggle with both hearts. The old heart that's broken, broke God's law, versus the new heart that actually wants to obey and is empowered by the Holy Spirit to obey. So when you see this little episode here, it's a prefigure of the old covenant mosaic covenant being annulled by the new covenant in which the commands are then put on the new heart that's what it looks like that's what it prefigures and you and i are the recipients of this new heart in the new birth we have the law written on our hearts in the good heart it's on the bad heart too but it's broken in the bad heart think about this in the bad heart the broken heart that has transgressed God's law, that nature wants to rebel against God at every step of the way. When God says, don't do it, the new, the old nature says, I'm going to do it. That's how it works. And so you have to live by the new heart that actually wants to obey. So anyway, that's a little uh, sidebar. I want to make sure you. I, I brought that out to you so you can understand the two natures of the different commandments. Anyway, let's get back to the the narrative. So be ready in the morning. Come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain and no man shall come up with you and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither the flocks nor the herds feed before the mountain. Now, I I totally went blank on this and I should have put the archaeology in this, but let me explain it to you. Um, remember, I've shown you Mount Sinai, the blackened peak, and it has all the features, right? The burial grounds, the altar. Well, interesting around Mount Sinai in Arabia, there are barrier markers all around the mountain to prevent Israel from going any further. So in order to keep this commandment, Moses erected barrier markers all around the mountain, and they're still there today. Here's an interesting thing. On some of the rock, there is red paint. And that red paint is the same red color that's on the golden calf altar when they painted and depicted the golden calf on that altar. And it's in red paint. The red paint on these barriers has individuals with an arrow, a bow and arrow, pointed at other people. And it's around the mount. mount. So it seems to be, we're not 100% sure, that Moses, in order to guarantee that this didn't happen, he stationed garrisons around the outskirts of Mount Sinai with bows and arrows, and the trespassing warning was that if you cross this barrier, we're going to shoot you with an arrow. And, And it's in red paint around Mount Sinai. So Moses wanted to make sure that no one did this and that no one died. Um, so the archaeology uh, seems to indicate he did it with garrisons and boundary stones around the mountain. Pretty amazing, pretty amazing. And so this was when you see these passages and you marry it with archaeology, it just says yes, this happened, this happened, this happened. The evidence is everywhere. Anyway, so he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. The Moses rose early in the morning, and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hand the two tablets of stone again we approach the lord in humility asking for him to change us that's the idea that moses is humbly going before the lord to to surrender his heart surrender the heart of israel and then the lord's going to put inscribe the law on this offering of a new heart so to speak new tablets then the Lord said to Moses, write these words, for according to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. It's a reinstation, a reinstitution of the covenant, Mosaic covenant, okay? So, now the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there, stood with Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God. Now, here's what's going, on, what's happening here. God is trying to get Israel to understand who He is personally. That's why it, He proclaimed the name of Yahweh in front of them. Yahweh is His personal name. This is how you personally know God. Okay, and the the idea is, it says the Lord, the Lord God. It's a Hebraic way of saying, um, "I am." and I am who I say I am I'm the one that defines who I am and and so it's the idea is I want you Israel to know personally who I am because when you know me personally and you know my attributes which he's gonna show right now then that creates more love in you towards me and then that segues into if you love me then you will keep my commandments. And if you keep my commandments, you won't make unholy alliances with the world. And that's still true today. So if you don't want to be tempted by unholy alliances out from the world, then your key is to know God, and then that knowledge will create love, and then that love will create obedience, and you will be protected from doing these unholy alliances we'll talk about the alliances in just a bit but now then god explains who he is he says i am merciful i want israel to know that i am merciful it's where we as the hebrew word rachum and we get it from "rahim," uh which means in hebrew womb now we had a baby dedication this morning uh right And so, as you can see, that mother holding that baby, tenderly caressing that baby and protecting that baby, uh, it has to do with that concept that God's mercy is like a mother who tenderly takes care of her baby. That's what God's trying to communicate to Israel and to us. I am the one who tenderly takes care of you. Not the world. Not the bargains you're going to do with the Canaanites. I am the one who gives you this tender care. They don't care for you. Do you think the medical industry really cares about you? No. They have revealed their hand. They don't give a rip. They would rather make their money. Do you think your doctor who told you to get vaccinated really cares about your health? No, he doesn't or she doesn't. Find a new doctor. See, What God is trying to say is don't make these alliances with these types of people because they don't care about you. I'm the one that cares for you. Listen to how I lead you. I will lead you down the right path. Do you think uh, school administrators care about you, teachers? (laughs) No, that got revealed. Do you think the boards care about the community? No, they've all been revealed. So don't do an alliance with them. Don't hook up with them. Don't hook up with the teachers' union. Don't hook up with the board. Don't listen to the administrators. Because they don't have it in for you. They, they, they're not on your side. I'm not saying not obey their laws or anything, but don't compromise your Christianity to get some type of alliance to keep your job or whatever that might be. Hospital administrators, do you think they care about your job? No. They don't. It's all about profit. God cares though. Like a mother would care for a child. God is gracious, where we get the the word hanun. He wants to do things for for us that we don't deserve, right? The idea in the Hebrew is the idea of bending down and stooping down to an inferior. That's what God does to us. He stoops down to help the inferior who doesn't deserve it. He wants to be gracious. He wants to be merciful. He wants to be long-suffering with us. Long-suffering, literally, arek, means long nose. Now, that's weird, isn't it? long nose. Yes, long nose has to do with the flaring of the nostrils in Hebrew. And the idea is it takes God a long time to flare his nostrils because you'd flare your nostrils in anger, right? So God doesn't flare his nostrils quickly. It's long-suffering. It's long-flared, so to speak. Now, the idea is I am long-suffering with these people, you, Israel, or anyone else, because I want something to, to come from them. This is why a lot of times, you, I know in your mind, you're thinking this. I wish a lightning bolt would strike so-and-so right now. Like like Bill Gates or George Soros or Klaus Schwab. Oh, Brandon, I can't believe you talk like that. Well, just read the Psalms because David's doing it all the time. Strike down my enemies, destroy them. I mean, you've got to read this stuff, man. If you haven't read the Psalms, there's a lot of imprecatory prayers. that's like, kill my enemies, destroy them. I... I I'm I'm kind of right there right now. Um I get it. And and so you're like well, why doesn't god strike down someone like uh give me a name. Biden, Biden or, or there you go uh, or Pelosi or or uh, Schumer or uh Gavin Newsom Fauci, right? Now, you're the one saying it not me. So <laughs> Don't blame me, alright? <laughs> You'll take full blame. That's right. Bill will own it. Own it. But you know what I'm talking about. And you're like, oh my goodness, these evil people, how do they just keep getting away with things? God, do something. And you know what God is saying? It's this. I'm, I'm, I'm long-nosed. I'm long flared. I'm long-suffering. What do you mean? What's the intent of being long-suffering? Ah, 2 Peter chapter 3 gives us the uh the, the background on this. Do not think that god is slack when he doesn't judge these people his slackness doesn't indicate a lack of justice his slackness indicates that he's long-suffering wanting all to repent that no no one should perish he's wanting them all to repent so he's giving them time to repent before it's too late that's where the idea of long-suffering comes from right and so we're not that way because my nose every time i watch the news flares I'm, I'm, not, I'm not long in the nose. I'm very short in the nose. I, to, I can't even watch news sometimes. That's so bad. Anyway, abund- abounding in goodness. It's where we get the Hebrew concept of chesed. Chesed. It, it, it's hard to translate. As it, we translate it loving kindness, but it's a loyal loving kindness to the other member of a covenant. Believe it or not, the concept of chesed comes from burying a body in 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 israel now here's the idea the departed loved one cannot repay you the the departed loved one cannot say thanks cannot return the favor and so hesed actually came from a funeral concept in where you did a loving kindness act to the departed and they never could do anything back to repay you that's what Chesed means, in a covenant relationship, that God will do for us stuff that he knows we cannot repay. How are you going to repay God for giving salvation through Jesus Christ? You can't. You can't repay it, right? That's abounding in goodness. Okay, Chesed. Truth, emeth, emeth. Truth is basically this, that anything that God says, he's defining reality for us. The morals, the ethics, everything he says is reliable, trustable. You can count on it. He's not going to lead you astray because he defines everything in reality. Here's the thing. When you get away from the truth or away from God, you get into unreality. You get into a fantasy world. And this is what's happening with us when we're dealing with the world and you're talking to them, giving evidence and facts, and they don't care. Have you noticed that? They don't care about the facts and evidence because they're not in reality anymore. If they were, they would be following God's truth. He defines reality. This is an interesting thing about the Hebrew alphabet with the word emeth. Um, when you see it, its its root, uh, emeth, it encompasses the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is the aleph, and it encompasses the middle letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is the mem, and then it encompasses the, the last letter of the Hebrew, the Hebrew alphabet, which is the tav. So it's the, the Aleph, the Mem, and the Tav is the root word for truth. This is interesting because the entire Hebrew alphabet is 22 letters, and the fact that you're taking the first, the middle, and the, the last means that the whole word of God is reality, is truth. You can see that even in the word Meth. Amazing. Keeping mercy for thousands. God keeps covenant loyalty. and wants to bless people. He wants to bless them. But they got to come his way, right? This is, again, another term for chesed. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Notice the three categories. Iniquity means twisting the truth. Intentionally twisting the truth. That's what Satan does a lot. He, he causes iniquity. People who stretch the truth, who twist it. Oh, I wasn't doing gain of function. No, no, that wasn't going on. You're twisting it. That's called iniquity. We're not trying to control the world. We just want people to live better. Twisting. You're twisting. It's called iniquity. We just want everyone to be safe, be vaccinated. You're twisting. Transgression means I'm going to uh, I'm going to overstep a known law of God and just do it anyway. That's a transgression. And then a sin can happen, but... But a sin can happen with no transgression. Sin is going against, obviously, the, the the moral statutes and ethics of God. So, for instance, I'll give you an example of how to understand the difference between a transgression and a sin. When Adam and Eve partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they transgressed a law, because the law was, "Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil." But before they transgressed the law, they actually had sinned in their heart prior to it. What do you mean? Well, the fact that it notes that Eve had a desire, it looked good. She actually violated three different sins. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. She had violated those three things in her heart, sinning, before she transgressed and Adam transgressed. That's how you know the difference. You can sin even without transgressing. So God says, I want to forgive all three categories. I want to forgive these offenses, but you must come my way, Israel. And look what he says at the end, by no means clearing the guilty. So just because I want to forgive everybody doesn't mean that everyone's automatically forgiven. So heaven is not a default for everybody. You only go to heaven if you have been forgiven through the Messiah's sacrifice. You have to come his way. So that's why he puts that caveat on the end. most people don't think like God think that God uh, does that. They think, well God's just a doting grandfather and just boys will be boys and you can just do anything you want. And I'll forgive you it's all good. We're all going to heaven. No. you've got to come his way to get forgiveness. If you get grace to get mercy, you've got to come his way. And then look at this one. This is the scariest one, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation now the idea here the hyper-charismatics get this wrong they call it generational sin it's not what's happening here um that you know the children are cursed for the parent's sin that's not what's happening what's happening here is the first you understand the jewish idiom the jewish idiom i punish the children to the third and fourth generation just means that i'm going to i'm going to punish a repeated sin for every successive generation that keeps repeating it i'm not going to hold people uh, off the hook now um when he says the fathers upon the, ch- the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children it's talking about familial heritage that passes on practicing sins that get practiced that get practiced by the the children they get practiced by the The grandchildren and then eventually the great-grandchildren keep practicing the same sin. And I've mentioned this before. We all have family of origin issues. Some things are good from our family, but some of the things are sinful. And if we continue to model our Christianity, not of Jesus, but of our family, you're going to make the same mistake so if you practice the same sins that your father and mother did or your grandfather and grandfather did you will be punished the same way that's what god is saying i'm going to hold you accountable for practicing that same sin not for what they did but for what you're doing family of origin is one of the toughest things to break in our lives it is so difficult because we grew up like that we thought that was normal we thought our parents could do no wrong and we lo and behold you start reading the Bible and say, wait a second, that's totally wrong. Their God is money. I, I can't follow that. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Or, you know, uh, we got to have successful careers in this family. you got to be an accountant, a doctor, or a lawyer. You can't be anything else. You can't be a ditch digger. You can't be, uh, you know, working on the side of the road. No, no. Whose law is that? It's not God's. God says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Work as unto the Lord. That's it. Whatever you do, you do it 100%. That's all. So there's no career path for everybody. You go where God tells you to go, not where your parents tell you to go. You know, there's some people that chose careers that didn't even want to have that career because they did it to please their mom and dad. I'm sorry, that's a sin. You know why it's a sin? Because you're not following God's will. You're on your parents' will. It's a big one. But he says, I'm not putting up with it. So after he hears this, again, remember, why is God saying this? He's saying, I will provide everything that these other alliances don't need to that they'll promise you, but they won't give you. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. So he puts himself in a prostrated position, uh, and he worships the Lord. Then he said, if now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord I pray, go among us, even though we are stiff-necked people. I agree. We, 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 we don't submit to authority, Father. Uh, and pardon our iniquity and our sin. Notice the categories. And take us as your inheritance. Now, here's the thing. You're like, we've been studying this episode for nearly two chapters. Moses is making the same request again. Again, he's making the same request. And God's already told him, I'm going with you, man. I'm I'm good. I, ref- I I I I forgave you. Don't let it happen again. I'll destroy you. But we're good. I'm going with you. We're gonna we're gonna go through the promise line, and, and I'm gonna give you the promise line. Why is Moses keep doing this? Ah, there's a clue here. I want you to pick up on. There's something going on. This is not just Moses needing reassurance. This is what we would call near eastern bargaining near eastern bargaining now it doesn't mean like moses is giving to get that's i don't want you to have that concept about bargaining but this is how you would approach a superior if you wanted to assure that something will happen okay so what you would do is you wouldn't just blurt out something what you would do is humbly come before him, the superior, and request things in incremental stages. Okay? It was on purpose. You requested an intermin- in incremental stages, and obviously your goal is right here, but you don't start with the goal in the Middle East. You don't start, you start back here and you persist 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 until you get the goal now what does that mean to you and i you're like what's the big deal ah it's an indication of how we should pray the way we should pray is how what was taught in scripture we don't pray sometimes correctly we come out with our needs first and we want this, and we want that, and we want this and we want that to happen. And a lot of those things are good, and don't get me wrong. But your approach to God is not how a Jewish person would approach God. Definitely not how Moses would approach. Moses comes very humbly, he's on the ground, right? It's laid out like this, inferior to superior, and he asks very politely and humbly and respectfully and persistently to the superior. Will you go with us? 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 What is that a model of? Humility, right? You just don't blurt it out. God already knows what you want before you can pray it, doesn't he? But he wants you to approach him a certain way. Don't come in there, approaching God in pride and blazing yourself in front of him like you're commanding he give you something you can't do that you're not going to be answered you have to approach it like moses does and 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 the idea is what does god want you to do he wants you to persist in the prayer because your persistence shows your faith so you persist and persist and persist until he either says yes or no and so what Moses is modeling is exactly what Jesus said about the persistent widow knocking on the judge's door. Remember that? She just kept knocking and knocking until the judge would open the door. What is that? It's faith and persistence. Your persistence in your prayer life is an indication of your faith. So Moses is modeling how we should actually approach God in prayer. That's a, that's a, just a simple application takeaway from just, just this scene, okay? So anyway... He admits that we're stiff-necked, he's humble, we're not prideful, and, and, and take us as your possession. We want you to own us and protect us. Okay. And he said, Behold, I will make a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels, such as have not been done in all of earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among you who uh, you are shall see the work of the Lord. Now, here's the interesting thing. It's a double-edged sword. Okay, so if you follow me, Israel, into the promised land, and you obey me, the nations of the world will see marvelous wonders that I will do that are only explainable that that they say, that's Yahweh. So they'll see Jericho's walls fall down, right? They'll see Israel rout Nephilim and giant clans and just rout them. They will continue to see all these wonderful works. God will actually stop the rotation of the earth. Remember that? Joshua's long day. Right? To give them more light to continue to fight and defeat their enemies, then you'll see hell come down and 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 hit and hit all the enemies of Israel, but not hit the, the Israeli soldiers. The hell only hits the enemies in a hell storm. And you'll see things like that. That's because they're obeying. But the same is true, or the opposite is true. If Israel disobeys, then what the nations of the world will still see the marvels and wonders of God, but they'll see it in his disciplining of Israel. So then they'll see eventually the ten tribes get taken by the Assyrians. Then they'll see Judah and Benjamin get taken by the Babylonians. And it'll almost be miraculous how they were taken over. Because, yes, this is the punishment on them. So let me give you a real-world example of even today. This still is true with Israel today, by the way. Since Israel has been expelled from the land in 136 A.D., they have been dispersed among the nations, among the nations who watch them, and realize when the nations look at the Jews dispersed among the nations, they have to admit they're being punished, they're being disciplined. Because they still still survive, but they're being disciplined. It wasn't until 1948 that Israel is finally brought, brought, uh, brought back into the land. What was the messaging from Yahweh? Because you rejected my son, I expelled you out of the land for nearly 2,000 years. All the nations saw your, 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 your expelling out of the land. They saw my wonders. They saw what I did. And it was a testimony to Yahweh. Now it is another testimony that Israel rolls back in the land in a, in a miraculous sense. You can see Yahweh's hand, the fact that they got back in 1948 and survived all these wars against them. It's all miraculous. Six-Day War was miraculous. 1973 was miraculous. All these things were miraculous. Think about 1973, just as an example, okay? Six-Day War has all kinds of miracles. Well, let me give you 1973, a providential miracle. The president was Richard Nixon, an anti-Semite, okay? Hated Israel. Henry Kissinger was with him in his cabinet. Henry Kissinger is a Jew-hating Jew, right? He hates Israel. He hates Israel. Henry Kissinger. So he's like Soros. You know, Soros would turn people into the Nazis even though he was Jewish, right? He's just weird, weird, really weird, evil. Anyway, I want you to think about this. Israel was about to lose Yom Kippur War. I mean, they're hanging by a thread. They make a call, United States, help us. So here they're talking to the president, Richard Nixon, who's an anti-Semite. Henry Kissinger's anti-Semite, and they're saying, don't get involved, don't get involved, don't get involved. Do you know what happened? This is a providential miracle. This is the wonders of God. Richard Nixon remembered the words of his mother. His mother, being a Christian, told Richard when he was younger, before going into presidency, she said this to him, one day you will be put in a position to help Israel. And when you're there, you need to help them. The words of a mother went past his anti-Semitism, went past the anti-Semitism of Henry Kissinger, and he said, he told the cabinet, send everything you have to save Israel. Double it up, triple it up, whatever you need, save them. And it was basically Richard Nixon that saved them from the Yom Kippur War that would have destroyed them. You don't think that's God, a God thing, that the mother's voice is echoing an anti-Semite's ear saying, you saved God's people? That's what we're talking about. That's how God changes the hearts of people who even are against his people. That's the wonders of God. Still working like that today, by the way. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command to you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite, the the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. So here's the deal. We're going to take out all the squatters, Israel. We're going to drive out all the squatters on the land, and you're going to settle it. Again, don't let them stay in the land, because they'll do a, a, a bargain with you and make an unholy alliance. Get them out of there. Now, here's an application before we move on. The application is this. You and I have not been given land. But as a believer, we have been given a ministry, a mission, a personal mission, a personal ministry from God himself. That's why you were equipped with, with um, your spiritual gifts and your, your experiences and your natural abilities. Here's what you have to understand. It's the same thing. I have, God is saying, I have given you this ministry, I have given you this place of ministry, don't abandon it. I need you to stand where you're at, where I have placed you, in your company, at your business, in your family, and don't leave it. Because if you run from what's going on in this world, you will give it up to a Canaanite. You have to stay put. Unless God moves you, you stay put because that's your ministry that's where you're supposed to be do not let them make you afraid that you leave your post you can't leave your post that's the idea anyone else that if you abandon that post a squatter will come in and ruin what you have established stay your ground so here's what getting into the needy gritty take heed to yourself lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going lest it be a snare in your midst lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land now here's the thing about this this is a political statement okay so anyone that says it well in in church we shouldn't be hearing about politics baloney you should the churches should tell you what's going on politically so you can understand it from a biblical standpoint what's happening politics and morality and ethics from the bible are intersecting right now and so even in this passage it's dealing with the first aspect political i don't want you making political alliances with with these people don't do any bit deals with them politically because look what it says lest it be a snare in your midst lest you become trapped and when you become trapped, what happens? You're stuck or you can die. It's a, it's a picture of a bird or an animal getting stuck in a trap and eventually being killed in that trap for whatever use the person wants to use it for. How is that going on today? See, political alliances are coming our way and under the guise of helping humanity, under the guise of saving the planet. We've got to be more involved in helping Greta Thunberg turn it all around. She did not even know what she's talking about half the time. She's just she's being used. Her parents just let her use them. Anyway, they're wanting to make political alliances with us. They're wanting to be aligned with socialism, communism, Marxism, and they don't tell you that. But the schools teach it. The schools teach this. This is why the preponderance of people who graduate from high school and colleges today are functioning socialists and don't even know it. It's happening. That's a political alliance that formed through indoctrination. Political alliances being in, in, involved in globalism. See, they say, well, we're all global citizens. Forget patriotism because patriotism is racist. We need to be global citizens. Ah, that's a political ideology, guys. It's called globalism. It's called the one world government. Mentioned in scripture. Oh, that's a political alliance. We need to get rid of free market capitalism. We need to get to more of a resource-based economy. You know what a resource-based economy is? It's communism, Marxism, socialism. That's a political alignment. Why aren't the churches saying this anymore? Why aren't they warning? Because what starts happening, if you don't warn the people, it starts infiltrating the church. Why is the church practicing the social gospel? Because they, they, they can't see Marxism. They can't see the socialism in it. That's what the, the issue is. And here's the deal. What about the political alliances with the medical community? Do you trust them anymore? I don't. I don't. Do you believe the CDC? Do you believe the FDA? Do you believe uh, uh, Health and Human Services? Do you believe the, uh, the NIH? Do you believe Fauci? See, those organizations have lost all credibility. But they're wanting you to politically align with them. Do what we tell you to do. And you'll get your life back. That's, a, that's actually a treaty. That's an agreement, a political agreement. And what's the snare? Well, the snare is we're starting to see it. Secretary Xavier Becerra leaked uh Health and Human Services Services uh memo reveals Biden administration moving to re- remove religious religious liberty protections. Oh. See, when they first told you, we'll accept your religious exemption for now. But we're not eventually going to accept any exemption. We're not going to accept your religious and we're not going to accept any medical exemption. That's where it's going. He just leaked it. He just leaked it. He just told you what they're up to. See, but the political line says, do what we tell you and you can give your life back. Get vaccinated. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll receive those things. They're just playing you. They're gaslighting us because this is the real intent. Look at the Canadian government plans to use big tech to limit free speech on social network pro- programs. What's new? Well, I can tell you this. The Canadian government is in concert with big tech. It was one thing that big tech censored us because of their political views. But it's another thing when the Canadian government is in concert in an alliance to silence the Canadians. And, well, that's in Canada, Brandon. It's not going to come here. Uh uh-uh. uh. Oh, no, 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 no. This is a foreshadow of what's coming in America. The government is working already with big tech guys to censor speech they did it for the last election they're doing it for the coronavirus they're doing it for the vaccine that's why you can't google something and find what you're looking for it's all shadow banned their alliance is happening and they're doing an end around around the law because the government can't do it so they have to do an end around through big tech who can do it and no one's going to try to sue them so that that's the end around this is what we're talking about this is the snare this is the, the political alliances that are happening now we have this whole thing that that's going on with the COVID-puking media uh, pushing all these variants, really scariants, to make you afraid. Oh, the Omicron. Oh, the Alpha, the Delta, the Gamma, Lambda, Zeta, Theta, Kappa. Sounds like a sorority house or a fraternity house, for goodness sake. When's this end? It doesn't. It doesn't end. Do you get it? It doesn't end they're just going to keep having more variants and more vaccinations and more boosters and then we're going to give it to all your kids see this is the problem this is what happens when you make a political alliance with entities that want to make money instead of help people that's the snare that's the snare well what do you mean Look at all these doctors that are ending up dead as flies. They're just dropping like flies. These are all the doctors that got the vaccines, and they're dying. No one knows why, but they're all dead. I wonder why. Could it be the mRNA is not that good? Of course it's not. It's experimental. That's why these guys are dying. Dr. Mensink was here the, a couple of weeks ago and told you, the mRNA, man, is going to kill people. It's going to kill people. See, that's the snare. You make a political alliance. The medical community made a political alliance with Big Pharma and the government. Right? They made it a political alliance to make money. But it ended up killing people. And I think the whole agenda is about killing people anyway, depopulation. But this is what's going on, guys. We have to recognize it. This is what a holy alliance does. It will kill you. That's why he was trying to tell Israel, you make an alliance with a Canaanite, it will eventually physically kill you. It started killing the Israelites' babies, didn't it? They had them over for dinner, met Mr. and Mrs. Canaanite, and said, hey, by the way, what we do in the Canaanite society, we sacrifice our firstborns to the Canaanite gods. Oh, really? Uh, we don't do that. Uh, and then what happened to Israel? They ended up doing it. In fact, they were sacrificing their children in the Hemnon Valley in Jerusalem. That's where we get the word Gehenna. It rep- represents the the lake of fire. They were they start sacrificing their own children there. They picked up the practices. So behind all this 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 alliance, who's, who's all behind this? I I don't know. I I could be wrong, but maybe it's these guys. <laughs> Of course it's not sponsored by Pfizer. (laughs) They wouldn't do such a thing. Uh, You catching on to something? All the media is controlled by Pfizer. Oh, okay. Oh, so that's why they're pushing the narrative. Gotcha, gotcha. Unholy alliance ends up causing death. Do you think Pfizer cares about how many people die? No. (laughs) They're making billions of bucks. I don't care. Oh, why are so many christians buying into this alliance why do they not think that yahweh can protect them do they not think that god can provide for their needs and their job why are they going along with this narrative why are they buying into this they're making an unholy alliance that will eventually kill them literally very scary I had to show you this because this is bizarre. This is, this is how they encourage people to get a vaccine in Brazil. They have a guy. This is their mascot. And, and he, he looks like the grandmaster of the Ku Klux Klan. And I'm thinking, why would that encourage me to get vaccinated? But apparently they're all pumped up on this guy. I just had to show you that. This is so stupid. But this is how they encourage it. So this kid, I don't know, trying to force something down her mouth or something, and this guy in the Ku Klux Klan outfit shows up. That guy would frighten me to death. Yikes. Crazy. Anyway, I got I, I to gotta get moving. Look what Paul said about the same thing. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, it's not, he's not talking about being amongst the believer unbelievers. He's saying don't do a deal with them. Don't do alliances with these people. Don't get into a corporate uh compact with them that's what this is about especially religion it's about not hooking up with false religions for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness and what accord with uh, has christ with belial or satan or what part has a believer with an unbeliever we don't there's no alliances between us and fauci and what agreement has the temple of god with idols for you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Of course. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, like an mRNA shot, or I will rec- and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So Paul ends with the same message that Exodus is, is talking about don't trust in them trust in me i will take care of you i will be a father to you i will tenderly see you through this but don't think you're going to escape from anything by doing an alliance with them that's what paul's echoing now we're going to the the societal aspects and they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifices to their gods and one of them invites you and you eat of his sacrifice the concept here is a Middle Eastern concept or a Near Eastern concept where if you ate a meal with somebody, it meant tacit approval of what they were doing. It meant that you're okay with a Canaanite. You're okay. So it's not like going to lunch or dinner with somebody here and here and now. It's the concept. I don't tacitly even allow myself to give them my approval. This is why we get onto Christian leaders who get into organizations that are thoroughly unchristian, and you're saying, why would you get in league with them? Why is Franklin Graham pushing the vaccine? You see what I'm saying? Why would you do that? See, because well, what happens in, in when you would fellowship, you're giving tacit approval. So this even comes down to believers, right? When believers won't repent and they're in some type of living in sin. What, is, what does Paul say to us? Separate from them, kick them out of the church, and don't even eat a meal with them. Because why? When one of them invites you and you eat of his sacrifice, you will give tacit approval to their behavior. So the one way to deal with believers who are messed up is to disfellowship with them and don't even have a meal, so to speak. Basically, don't give your tacit approval to their behavior. Otherwise, people will see that you accept it. The Canaanite beliefs, the practices, morals, and values. So what's going on today? Christians are accepting globalism. They think it's cool. They think patriotism is is racist, and now they think globalism is cool. Ask any of the younger kids going to colleges and universities. They're all for globalism. They love it. They hate America. They think it's racist, and they've been brainwashed. Now we have kids that graduate from high school and colleges that come out functioning socialists, functioning communists, functioning Marxists, and they don't think they are, but they are. Because why? They were indoctrinated at the indoctrination factories that we have produced in America called the public school system. And they're functioning Marxists and they don't even know it. They just are that way. And then we have the mass cult, the COVID cult, the vaccine cult, and the Fauci cult, even among Christians. Hardcore, man. They They follow anything the CDC says, anything Fauci says. What's that about? Because they have made an unholy alliance rather than trusting in God. They would rather trust in Fauci rather than God. Serious, man, it, it boils down to that. Sad, isn't it? Even America, some of America, not all of America, has bought into this whole critical. How about this one? I couldn't even show you the commercial. It's a three-minute commercial. I couldn't show you it. It was so bad. So, yeah, so the Norwegian Postal Service commercial the big Santa having a homosexual affair. It's off the chart. I'm like, dude, there's nothing left anymore. I mean, seriously, it's the worst thing I've ever seen. And, and, and at the end of it, man, Santa's make, in a makeout session with this guy. And it's like, what? This is so evil. But what are they doing? They're normalizing the LGBT agenda. Oh, it's just normal. Even Santa Claus is a homosexual. <laughs> what? Are you crazy? Yeah, they are crazy. You see, they want you to buy in because, oh, because look, make an alliance with us and we'll leave you alone. We won't call you a homophobe or a bigot or anything like that. Just make an alliance with us and you're cool. And how many Christians are buying into it? Look, you, want, you want to know the stats? How many Christians are buying into the LGBT agenda? Only 10% maybe? 20%? 30 maybe? 40, 55% of Christians approve of LGBT lifestyle. Half of, of the church, half of the church don't think they have not made alliances with the LGBT mafia when you see that kind of number. What's happening, guys? Unholy alliances. CTA conference. California educators were given instructions on surveying of students basically surveillance, and the deceptions of parents for encouraging their inclusion in LGBT clubs. What? What? What are you talking about? No, no, this is what was told to California educators. Go in there, don't tell the parents what you're doing, but we're going to secretly groom the children into LGBT, unbeknownst to the parents. That's what they were told to do. Now, let me ask you this. You want to put your kids in public school? That's what you're going to face. That's what you're facing right now. Teachers that have that agenda now. Oh, my lanta. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images, for you shall worship no other god. So now we're into the section called religion. Politics, social, and now religion. If you, you, you start mixing with the Canaanites, you will practice their very religion. And so they were to chop down all the, the wooden altars and the, the wooden uh, Asher poles. And before you know it, Israel had groves. It was called groves of Asher poles. And there were these poles depicting Asherah or whatever God. And so they were told, don't do this. When you get in the land, cut them all down because you'll end up worshiping them. Interesting enough, there's a still a carryover that's still with us today, believe it or not. You can see remnants of the Asher poles or of the, the, the poles that came from Babylon. Um, totem poles, right? From native Alaskans, right? And then in the Polynesian culture, you have the Tiki gods. That's a holdover from the Asher poles that was going on in Israel. So Israel is told when you see these things, these groves of these poles, I want them all chopped down because you'll end up worshipping these things. I find it funny that even in America people will put tiki gods around their pools and stuff like that and they think it's like being tropical and it's like you're setting up idols all over your pool. Why are you doing that? We don't even understand that a tiki god is a false deity. It's a demon behind the idol. Anyway, have you seen this bumper sticker? This is the religious compromise they're wanting from us. This is the compromise they all want with us. Get along with other religions and lose your theological distinctives. Look what's happening in, in uh, the, 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 uh, the biggest religion, religions on the face of the planet. They're creating this thing called Abrahamia. Okay? It's crazy. It's, it's birthed out of Chrislam. But what they're trying to do is combine all three monotheistic religions, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, to solve what? The Middle Eastern crisis. Oh, pray tell, what will the Pope say about solving the uh, Middle Eastern crisis? I already know what the Pope's going to say. Is going to say that Israel doesn't have a right to the land. That's what he's going to say. So will the Muslims and so will these fake Christians say the same thing. They will go in and attack Israel because that's the whore of Babylon. And so they're all getting together having a big kumbaya. And they're building buildings right in Abu Dhabi. Have you seen these buildings? Uh, One place of worship where you can have Christianity, Judaism, and Islam together. Three different houses in one section of of uh you know the the neighborhood and here's that at night oh doesn't it look so beautiful that is the whore that is the whore this is what inside of the christian cathedral looks like this is what the judaism looks like and this is what the islamic one it's complete the harlot of babylon right there and the pope is leading the charge in all this man look at this talk about unholy alliances. Catholic University of America depicts George Floyd as Jesus in two new campus paintings. Thank you very much. That's called blasphemy. George Floyd is not Jesus Christ. Who in their right mind would do that? Oh, Canaanites would. Christians who have have Canaanite values. That's who would do that. They're leading the charge. Of course, this totally makes sense, doesn't it? How about the Gospel Coalition? They, they refer to Kyle Rittenhouse. Are you aware of Kyle Rittenhouse's trial? And Okay. The Gospel Coalition, this, these are uh, leaders of the evangelical community here in America that have completely went woke. They're communist, socialists, Marxists, progressive Christians, not to be listened to. Okay? But they encompass a lot of support from churches. Ask your pastor, those of you online, ask your pastor, do you like the gospel coalition? If he does, get out. They called him a mass shooter, changed it to now armed because they got so many complaints and implies in their article and accuses him of all wrongdoing. It also, the article that they wrote implies that Kyle Rittenhouse is like Dylan uh, Roof, a white supremacist who acted maliciously to perpetrate a system of injustice against black people. This is all critical race theory. Let me ask you this. If you follow the trial, did he shoot any black people? Why do they keep saying he shot black people? the narrative is right. It fits the narrative. He didn't shoot any black people. He shot uh, 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 felons, actually. And he was defending himself. The jury proved it. They saw the tapes. The one guy that said, oh, yeah, I pulled my gun. Then that's when he fired on me. Okay, they should have shut down the case right there. We're done. And remember, the prosecutor was like this. Can't believe he lost the whole case right there. Remember but they just kept going because that prosecutor is on the narrative. Anyway, when you see Christians doing and saying these kinds of things, they have made a deal with the devil. They're in an un- unholy alliance, guys. Now you got these woke pastors coming out saying, I confess that as a white church, we have lost our ability to collectively tell the truth. Excuse me, I guess I need to go sell insurance. Because I'm white, I'm really, I'm a Heinz 57, but... Um, my my melanin in my skin uh, is, is has a pigment of white I guess so that makes me not a truth teller is that where we're at now in society the pigment of my skin defines if I can tell the truth or not
0: that's insane
1: but that's a canaanite value who defines the truth God does not right she's forming guys don't do an alliance with her. We don't.
0: Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Anchor Sunday Sermons. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps grow you towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has recently started a second podcast called the Anchor Bible Study. It's filled with past and continuing Bible studies preached during our Wednesday evening services. If you enjoyed this message, and would like to hear it, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services for the Anchor Bible Study. Support for both of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.